Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. White privilege is just an acknowledgement that our world is uneven. We live in a country that's unequal. All human beings share solidarity. All of us are made in God's image equally and therefore worthy of dignity. We're all ruined and rebellious against God and therefore calls us solidarity and sin. We all need the same Savior. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Is God hardening more hard? than ever this is wretched radio you'll recall 10 times pharaoh is described as hardening his own heart 10 other times the bible says god hardened his heart which is it it is both god does not need to let us have a tenderized willing and submissive heart When he removes his grace from a person, then they go about the business of hardening their own heart. We have seen it all throughout the Bible. The Jewish people regularly had hard hearts. In the New Testament, when Jesus came preaching, he talked about hard hearts a lot. You may recall from John chapter 12 and verse 40, Rexella, We hear Jesus quoting the Old Testament to describe people of his time that weren't going to believe, that just couldn't get it because they didn't want it. And God shut off the grace valve before they died and their hearts were hard. Starting in verse 37, although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled. Lord, who's believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and heart he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should not heal them. God hardens hearts. And I think the two means of doing that is a direct hardening. It's not a sin for him to do that or an abandonment of grace or mercy, which hardens the person's heart. So they do it to themselves. And I'm just wondering if we are starting to see a season of hardened hearts. I grant you this is a bit anecdotal, but I do believe that I have several different demonstrations that would reveal that God appears to be hardening or letting people's hearts get increasingly hardened because they can't understand the gospel. And I mean, they can't understand it. I'm not saying that they don't grasp it, believe it. No, I'm just saying they don't even get it. Anecdote number one. How many times have we seen on our cable TV systems somebody being asked about Christianity or somebody explains Christianity and you go, that isn't even warm. That's just that you're not. No, that's that's not what Christianity is. Typically, it will be something like that. The golden rule that we should love others the way that we love ourselves, be kind to people. Yeah, that's Christianity, and frequently they'll chirp in and say, which is just like all the other world religions. No, it's not. Why can't people seem to articulate the gospel in a country where there are 350,000 Christian churches, varying stripes, but why is it that so few people actually know the gospel? 
Anecdote number two, which contains multiple examples when you hear us witnessing to kids on university campuses, especially in the Bible Belt. What do they say? Well, I'm a Christian. Explain the gospel. The what? They have no idea. How can they be going to a church and not know what the gospel is? Could it be that we are seeing a season of hardened hearts? Anecdote number three. TED Talk did a pretty pithy job of describing the five world religions, the systems that dominate our planet, people groping, trying to supposedly figure out God, although actually they create their system to reject God. This presentation basically spent about two minutes with each one of the world religions, and I was just again amazed to listen to a TED Talk that this fellow presented Christianity the way that you're about to hear. How does he not know that Christianity, the core belief, is Christ? It's in the name that he died for sinners. He rose from the grave. He buys us. He redeems us. He propitiates us, if you prefer, so that we can be forgiven, become the righteousness of God in Christ, inherit eternal life to the praise and the fame of his glorious name. That's Christianity. How do people not know this? What other, what explanation do you have? Romans chapter 11, uh, 12, 11. No, wait, I'm not ready. 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 8, also talks about God hardening hearts. Now, in this particular context, we need to understand who those people are, but the point is the same, that there are, there are times when God just lifts his grace, removes his kindness for people to even be able to get it. I think there's a couple of reasons why nobody can articulate the gospel besides my hardening hypothesis. It's rarely preached out there. Mostly they don't, they don't hear, but there's enough resources, a TED Talk should have been able to figure out what Christianity is really about. This is Romans chapter 11 and verse 8. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see and ears that should not hear to this very day. Why did this TED Talk biff it so Stunningly, I, 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 I wonder if they just, they, they, they can't even get it. Remember, somebody can actually get the gospel without believing it. There are people who have the ability to say, oh, you want to know about Christianity? Here's the deal. Starts out in the Garden of Eden. They march all the way through the nation of Israel, the covenants with Abraham and Moses, the covenant with David, that there is going to be a king who sits on the throne forever. And then it kicks off in the New Testament with the genealogy of Jesus Christ being that better king. He marched to a cross, died for sins, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. And now he sits at the right hand of God, interceding on the behalf of those who repent and put their trust in him. They can say that without believing that. What I'm shocked by these days is that people don't even say they don't even know that. Furthermore, it seems that they're becoming increasingly pluralistic, even inside of Christian circles. 
there was a study that was done, would you believe by Lifeway, that was talking, that was identifying how people view Jesus being the exclusive way inside of the evangelical community. And about 30% don't think he is the only way, which means this might be one of our reasons that people don't even know how to articulate the gospel is because they aren't hearing the exclusivity of Christ preached in the church, like vociferously, like adamantly, like repeatedly. And so they think whatever works. This is the TED Talk explanation of Christianity. 2,000 years ago in Judaism's promised land, Christianity was born. Just as Hindus call Krishna God in human form, Christians say the same thing about Jesus. Okay. We're comparing Jesus with Krishna. Really? And Christianity grew out of Judaism just as Buddhism grew out of Hinduism. The angel Gabriel was sent by the God of Abraham to ask a young woman named Mary to become the mother of his son. The son was Jesus, raised as a carpenter by Mary and her husband Joseph. Now, you could debate, did God ask her? No, she was informed, and she accepted that and, 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 and was more than happy to be obedient. But it wasn't like God said, Mary, what do you think? Give it. Maybe I know this is it's going to be awkward. Trust me. But would you care to have the son of God born while you're still a virgin? Not the way it happened until he turned 30 when he began his public career as the living word of God. We don't know if it's 30, but give or take, that's probably right, because that's typically when rabbis began teaching. Less interested in religiousness than in justice and mercy. Jesus healed the sick in order to draw crowds and then taught them about his heavenly father affectionate, forgiving, and attentive. Then he would invite everyone to a common table to illustrate his kingdom of God, outcasts, sinners, and saints all eating together. He had only three years before his unconventional wisdom got him into trouble. His enemies had him arrested and he was executed by Rome in the standard means by which rabble-rousers were put to death. Unconventional teachings? You mean proclaiming that he is God? Crucifixion. But shortly after he was buried, women found his tomb empty and quickly spread word, convinced that he had been raised from the dead. The first Christians described his resurrected appearances, inspiring confidence that his message was true. What message? message, Love one another. Ah, wrong! I have loved you. Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus in December at Christmas and his suffering, death, and resurrection during Holy Week in the spring. In the ceremony of baptism, a washing away of sin and welcoming into the Christian community, recall Jesus' own baptism. That would be Roman Catholic. That is not biblical Christianity. How can TED Talk biff it this badly? I think, I think it's the same reason that so many people do biff it these days. They're either woefully uneducated, don't have a cell phone, their hearts are hardening faster than we've ever seen. This is Wretched Radio. Good news, there are actually thousands of pastors in Germany. The bad news is they're not very equipped. 
Theological training in Germany and in Europe is so needed because you don't really get any formal training, not in a church or anywhere else. Being at a PMAI training center, probably the first time that you ever get any formal training how to understand scripture, the church, and how to apply it in your own life. Germany is not the only nation that has a drought of qualified pastors, but the Master's Academy International is changing that one country at a time, currently in 17 nations with many seminaries, with graduates from the Master's Seminary, training indigenous men to rightly divide the word of truth. Would you please consider adopting your own seminary in one of 17 nations? Please visit wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. All right, so what are some of the best combinations you can think of? Rice and beans? Bacon and eggs? How about you and Wretched? Yep, that's right. When you become a Wretched Gospel Partner, you and Wretched become one of the best combinations in the world. Combining our efforts allows us to reach more people all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Separately, they're pretty good, but combined together, uh, they become great. And thanks to you, Wretched is among the top 5% of all podcasts across platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, and all the others. Together, we have reached millions. As a matter of fact, check this out. Wretched has been downloaded nearly 11 million times. That is an amazing feat that we want to increase. Get all of the details on becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner right now by visiting wretched.org slash donate. Or you can text the word Wretched to the number 44321. You and Wretched, it's even better than salt and pepper. Hey, Tomorrow Club supporter, this message from Paul Marty, the director of the Tomorrow Clubs, is just for you. You know, it's been more than 25 years now since my wife Cindy first brought leaders and kids together for the very first Tomorrow Club. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been touched. We're grateful for all the ways you help kids in forsaken places learn to follow Jesus. Thank you for your support of the Tomorrow Clubs. $30 a month, Disciples 30 Kids in Eastern Europe and now in Africa, where Tomorrow Clubs anticipates they could be opening up 100 new clubs in a year. Would you please consider becoming a Tomorrow Club supporter? Kids clubs that meet in forsaken places, they get loved on, they hear the gospel, they memorize Bible verses, and they're getting saved. To support your own Tomorrow Club, please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 1793. William Carey sails as a missionary to India. In the next 40 years, he would oversee more Bible translations than had previously been produced in all of Christian history. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. There's getting it, and then you've got getting it, and finally there's getting it. This is Wretched Radio. The person's ability to get the gospel typically manifests itself in three different packages. You've got the person who gets it. They can articulate Jesus died for sinners, rose from the grave, repentance and faith, forgiveness of sins, but they don't believe it. They, they can just spew it. The other getting it errs. Hmm. The other people who get it are the people who say, I get it, but don't. 
They would say that Christianity is about loving your neighbor, being kind to one another. Um, They think that they get it, but they don't get it. The people who get it are the people who have been made alive by God, whose eyes that were blind have been made to see, hearts that were hard were softened up by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get it, meaning we can articulate it and we believe it. And it is our firm hope, not across your fingers. I sure hope that Jesus did this. No, he's my hope. He did it. And he's done everything he said he would do. And he's going to do everything that he said he will. And I am on his team and he wins. Just a side sermon illustration for you about the the sports analogy of being on the team of Jesus. How does that actually work? When you were in high school, maybe college, do you remember you weren't on the football team, but they won a divisional championship? And you probably, if you're old enough, no, they still sing it today. You probably sang, we are the champions by Queen. Did you play a single play? No. So why do you claim to be the champions when you aren't even on the field? It is because the field represents the players on the field. They represent you. Their victory is the school's victory. Jesus' victory is the church's victory. We are on the winning team, and therefore we have a firm, confident hope that we are going to be resurrected and we get to gulp rain with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. That's getting it. These days, it is my opinion that we've got an awful lot of people who are in the second get it camp. They just can't even articulate. They, they don't even know it. I, I can't imagine. Hey, Lifeway, here's a poll you should have done 100 years ago asking people to articulate the gospel. I'll bet they could have a whole lot better than they can today. What's the explanation for it? I think a lot of poor preaching in churches that is not Christ-centered, that doesn't preach about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. And so we have got Christian pluralists, which is an oxymoron. Furthermore, I can't help but wonder, are we in a season where God is hardening or let letting people harden their own hearts? He does that, you know. John chapter 12, quoting the Old Testament, describing the Jews, which now apply to the first century Jews. Romans chapter 11, verse 8, that, 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 that the Jewish people, they're, they're just blind and their hearts are hardened by God himself. Romans chapter 1 describes our current culture that we are devolving into sin and our minds are becoming increasingly darkened. And I wonder if that's why people can't even say Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for sinners. They can't. And, and sometimes you, you you tell it to them and say, repeat it. And they'll say, well, the guys, you know, we got to love each other. What happened? Why? Why don't you get it? And the answer is no, they don't. TED Talks recently presented a comparison between the five big religious worldviews. Christianity was totally biffed. Didn't even didn't even come close. Okay, once in a while, he did talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. He did talk, he used the word forgiveness, no explanation of it. Usually, for most people, they articulate Christianity by saying, well, we just need to forgive one another. That's 
true, but that's not the central message of Christianity, which is Christ. Let's see how the TED Talk people do on Judaism, shall we? Judaism began with God calling Abraham and Sarah to leave Mesopotamia and migrate to the land of Canaan. In return for their faith in the one true God, a revolutionary concept in the polytheistic world of that time, they would have land and many descendants. Well, don't forget about the third promise to Abraham. It wasn't just many descendants. That's the people, the seed, the offspring that was promised in Genesis 3.15 repeated to Abraham when God cut a covenant with him, promising a land, a nation, and a promised seed. Kind of forgot that part. From this promise came the land of Israel and the chosen people. But staying in that land and keeping those people together was going to be very difficult. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, but God freed them with the help of the prophet Moses, who received the Ten Commandments and later hundreds more. Wouldn't pick a nit, but Moses didn't help. He was God's servant who delivered them. But that's just being picky and accurate. They conquered the promised land, but could only keep it for a few hundred years. Wrong. They didn't conquer it. God conquered it for them. That is the whole story about the promised land. It's a land of giants. We can't get in there. Isn't it interesting? A fellow named Joshua said, no, yeah, we can. Hmm. So Joshua led them in, but it was the strong arm of the Lord that brought them into the promised land because it's a picture of the gospel. They were brought into a land where there was milk and honey flowing They were brought into a land that had towns already built for them that they simply occupied. Does that sound a little bit like the gospel? The Exodus, it's a picture of Jesus coming out of Egypt. The children of Israel, unable to enter the land of giants, needed to be brought in by the Lord. We cannot get into the kingdom of God, the true promised land that this earthly nation only reflects. We need a savior. And his name is Jesus. This fellow clearly didn't quite get that memo. Israel sits at a crossroads through which many armies marched over the centuries. And in the year 70, the Romans destroyed the temple in their capital, Jerusalem. Kind of missed a couple of other captivities, like, you know, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, them, their wicked Chaldeans. That took them, or why? Because they were violating the Mosaic Covenant, but they were returned home because of the Abrahamic Covenant. This fellow is giving a history, but this is supposed to be a comparative religion, like, you know, the belief systems. So the religion transformed itself from a temple religion with sacrifices and priests to a religion of the book. Because of this, Judaism is a faith of symbolism, reverence, and deep meanings tied to the literature of its history. The many sacred scriptures make up the Hebrew Bible or Tanakh, and hundreds of written discussions and interpretations are contained in an expansive compendium of deeper meanings called the Talmud. Jews find rich symbolic meaning in daily life. At the Passover meal, every item on the menu symbolizes an aspect of the escape from slavery. The importance of growing up is emphasized when young people reach the age of bar and bat mitzvah ceremonies during which they assume responsibility for their actions and celebrate the weaving of their own lives into the faith, history, and texts of the Jewish people. There are 14 million Jews in the world today, 
6 million in Israel, which became independent following the horrors of genocide in World War II, and 5 million in the United States. The end? That's it? That's the theological presentation on Judaism? Needless to say, it's really scant. Now, why do I share all of that? Because if you listen to the other comparative religion presentations, um, they did pretty good. How is it that they biff so miserably on the Bible, but they can explain exactly what a Hinduism is? Hinduism means the religions of India. It's not a single religion, but rather a variety of related beliefs and spiritual practices. Yep. It dates back five millennia to the time of Krishna a man of such virtue that he became known as an avatar of Vishnu, an incarnation of the God in human form. That was pretty high praise. I didn't hear that about Jesus. He taught that all life follows karma, the law of cause and effect. And our job is to do our duty, or dharma, according to our place in society, without worrying how things turn out. When we die, we're reincarnated into a new body. Mm -hmm. If we followed our dharma and did our proper duty in our past life, we get good karma, which sends our soul upward in the social scale. Did you hear anything like this in the Judaism or Christianity presentation about how to attain everlasting life? I didn't either. Our rebirth into the next life is thus determined by what we do in this one. The wheel of rebirths is called samsara. It's possible for a very holy person to lead a life with enough good karma to escape the wheel. This escape is called moksha. Hinduism teaches that everything is one. The whole universe is one transcendent reality called Brahman. And there's just one Brahman, but many gods within it. And their roles, aspects, and forms differ according to various traditions. That was one minute and 52 seconds. The Judaism and Christianity, very Cliff's Notes versions, were also about a minute and 50. And yet, I find it rather interesting that this TED Talker was able to articulate quite nicely the religion of Hinduism, but when it came to understanding the Old Testament and when it came to understanding Jesus Christ, a total biff. Are we witnessing a heart-hardening season? This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Speech First, a national free speech organization, has filed a lawsuit that challenges the harassment policy of the University of Houston. The lawsuit argues that the policy punishes students for engaging in protected speech, and it discourages them from expressing unpopular views which expressly includes their views on immigration, sexuality, affirmative action, and the participation of biological men in women's sports. So essentially, if you hold a viewpoint that differs from that of the popular view of the world, then you are engaging in harassment and hate speech, and you're going to be punished by the university. You know, silencing those with opposing opinions seems very much communist to me. Last Thursday, the U.K. government announced an end to a program that allowed women to obtain abortion pills through the mail. The Welsh government, however, announced it would permanently implement the program. And now some pro-life activists are concerned that England could backtrack and reverse course now that Wales has said that it permanently wants women to be able to murder babies in the comfort of their own homes. Let's pray England stands firm in its original decision. Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest baby murder farm, sent a letter to Congress earlier this month urging expansion to abortion so, get this, quote, women and families can thrive. 
What a ridiculous and odd statement. Women and families can't thrive as long as they're allowed to murder their own unborn babies. I mean, how can one have a family if they kill it off? It's just an odd way to phrase a plea for less restrictions on the license to kill that they already have. Well, I'm not sure who's planning to see Marvel's latest rendition of Batman. It's called The Batman, and it's being released nationwide this weekend. But some early reviews say the film has mumbled references to white privilege and vague allusions to dismantling structures. You know, gone are the days of watching movies to, you know, suspend reality for a while. We can't go anywhere to get our minds off the world anymore. No matter what, they're going to throw it in your face so you cannot forget how terrible you are for being white. Now, this should get you excited about sending your kids into the unknown. A fourth grade teacher at an Indiana elementary school is also the owner of a satanic temple. And her school district is backing their teachers at all costs as they've issued a statement defending this teacher, claiming not to inquire about the personal religious beliefs of any teacher. I get that on some level, but when you have a teacher, a molder of minds, that leads a temple of a religion that advocates vengeance and sin and kindness only to those who deserve it, well, that's a bit of an issue. Correction. It's a major issue that the school board should address. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Paul wrote the second letter to the Thessalonians to further encourage and instruct them in the face of persecution. Some Thessalonians feared that they had missed the Lord's return. Paul reminds them that God will punish those who persecute the church, and he will be faithful to return for his people. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. It didn't fail today, but it would have in my time. This is Wretched Radio, TED Talk, presenting the five world religions, giving us an overview, supposedly, of the theological systems of Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism and Christianity. It's interesting that they totally biffed it on Judaism, which is a part of Christianity, rightly understood. That's why we have the Old Testament as a part of our Bible, unless, of course, you unhitched it. We were presented in a way that didn't resemble Christianity. But Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam kind of nailed it. That's a 60%. Now, I know today that's a passing grade, but when I was in school, yeah, that's an F. You only got 60% correct. I'm musing to a degree. Why is it that the world can't get the basics, the fundamentals of Christianity, both covenants? There's another option. Maybe, just maybe, they don't want to. Maybe they don't like the idea of saying what Christianity is about because that is the Christ they hate. There are unbelievers who can love the soft, squishy Jesus. You know, the one who said a lot of great things, but they will not confess that he is Lord. The soft, squishy, lubby-dubby Jesus is quite palatable to most people. It is the true Jesus of the Bible that offends that is a stumbling block. That is a message that is one of, um, no, no, you can't. All the other systems say, yes, you can. This one says, no, no, you can't. And people hate it. And I wonder if that might be one of the reasons why this TED Talker 
totally misrepresented, well, mostly Judaism and Christianity, but got it right on Buddhism. Brahma is the creator. Vishnu is the preserver who sometimes takes on human form. And Shiva is the transformer. Or Isn't it interesting? We didn't hear anything about the Trinity in Christianity. Word of the dance. Durga is the fiercely protective divine mother. Ganesha has an elephant head and is the wise patron of success. Hinduism is the third largest religion in the world. And although most Hindus live in India, they can be found on every continent, that's, one billion strong. That, that's the, so we get about 10 seconds of demographics and a minute, about 210, on the understanding of the theology, if you will, of Buddhism. That was flip-flopped <laughs> with Christianity and Judaism. was just watching a little snippet from Morgan Freeman. He was traveling around someplace in India, and he asked a woman, how do you pick your God? Because there are millions of them. And she said, you just pick your favorite fl flavor. Wow. Anybody who sits and thinks for a second would realize, um, I'm not so sure that that's a certain way of knowing who the true and living God is, as long as we're learning from TED Talks. Well, I mean, there's two ways to learn, the bad way and the good way, the wrong stuff and the right stuff. Here's the presentation on Buddhism. But now let's go back 2,500 years and return to India, where Buddhism began with a young prince named Siddhartha. Now this, just the 2,500 years, is, is, is from the time I believe they were talking about Islam, and now, now we're going back, or they were talking about Christianity, and now we're going back to India. On the night he was conceived, his mother, Queen Maya, is said to have been visited in her sleep by a white elephant who entered her side. Ten months later, Prince Siddhartha was born into a life of luxury. Venturing forth from his sheltered existence as a young man, he witnessed the human suffering that had been hidden from him and immediately set out to investigate its sources. Why must people endure suffering? Must we reincarnate through hundreds of lives? At first, he thought the problem was attachment to material things, so he gave up his possessions. He became a wandering beggar, which, he discovered, certainly made him no happier. Then he overheard a music teacher telling a student, Don't tighten the string too much, it will break. But don't let it go too slack, or it will not sound. In a flash, he realized that looking for answers at the extremes was a mistake. The middle way between luxury and poverty seemed wisest. And while meditating under a Bodhi tree, the rest of the answer came to him. All of life abounds with suffering. It's caused by selfish craving for one's own fulfillment at the expense of others. I can't help but hearken back to the presentation on Christianity, where you didn't hear anything about the doctrine of justification or sanctification or adoption. You didn't hear anything about how your sins can be totally forgiven by grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. None of that with Christianity, but we're getting a pretty decent treatment of Buddhism. Following an eight-step plan can teach us to reduce that craving and thus reduce the suffering. On that day, Siddhartha became the Buddha, the enlightened one. Not the only one, but the first one. The Buddha's plan is called the Eightfold Path, and though it is not easy to follow, it has pointed the way for millions to enlightenment, which is what Buddhahood means, a state of compassion, insight, peace, and steadfastness. From the time he got up from under that tree to the moment of his death as an old man, the Buddha taught people how to become enlightened. 
right speech, right goals, a mind focused works, on works, what is real, works, works, and a heart works, focused works, on loving works, others. Works, works. Many Buddhists believe in God or gods, but actions are more important than beliefs. There are nearly a billion Buddhists in the world today, mostly in East, Southeast, and South Asia. And in a public school near you. Because <laughs> mindfulness has become all the rage in Western civilization. TED Talk, not doing a terrible job, I don't mind telling you, on the wrong systems, on the right system. Oofda, let's learn about Islam, shall we? Islam began 1,400 years ago with a man of great virtue meditating in a mountain cave in the Arabian desert. The man was Muhammad. He was visited by a divine messenger, again, the angel Gabriel, in Arabic, Jibril, delivering to him the words of Allah, the one God of Abraham. In the next few years, more and more messages came, and he memorized and taught them. The verses he recited were full of wise sayings, beautiful rhymes, and mysterious metaphors. Hmm. But Muhammad was a merchant, not a poet. Many agreed the verses were indeed the words of God, and these believers became the first Muslims. The word Muslim means one who surrenders, meaning a person who submits to the will of God. A Muslim's five most important duties are called the five pillars. Works. Shahada, Muslims declare publicly, there is no other God but Allah, and Muhammad is his final prophet. Salat. They pray five times a day facing Mecca. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Why didn't we hear anything about any quotes from Jesus, like, I am the way, the truth, the life? Just kind of wondering. But Allah, and Muhammad is his final prophet. Salat, they pray five times a day facing Mecca. Works. Zakat, every Muslim is required to give two or three percent of their net worth Works. to the poor. Saum. They fast during daylight hours for the lunar month of Ramadan to strengthen their willpower and their Works. reliance on God. And Hajj. Once in a lifetime, every Muslim who is able must make a pilgrimage to the holy city of Mecca, Works. rehearsing for the time when they will stand before God to be judged worthy or unworthy of eternal life with Him. Isn't it interesting? We didn't hear about, say, the one another's of Christianity. But... They don't do those things to work their way to heaven like the other systems. They do it out of gratitude to God because heaven has been won for them. We didn't quite get to that in the, in the Christian presentation. The words of God revealed to the prophet over 23 years are collected in the Quran, which literally translates into the recitation. Muslims believe it to be the only holy book free of human corruption. Mm -hmm. It's also considered by many to be the finest work of literature in the Arabic language. Islam is the world's second largest religion practiced by over one and a half billion Muslims around the globe. That number just keeps exploding, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, no. No Islamic pun intended there. Isn't it interesting that he rightly identified the Quran as stating, I'm, I'm the book. I'm the, I'm the only pure one. What does the Bible say about itself? It's the only pure one. So right away, you've got Islam being in conflict with Christianity, with the Quran is superseding or overriding the Bible. And what does the Bible say about itself? If anybody adds to this book, let him be anathema. It is sufficient for all of life and godliness. It is finished. Islam says, no, it wasn't. We needed another prophet, Muhammad. And we needed another holy book, 
the Quran and the Hadith and all of the other books that go with it. That was a TED Talk presentation that overall, I thought, did a pretty fair job of describing Hinduism, Buddhism and Islam. Judaism and Christianity, not so good, which means this is an open door for us. When you talk to somebody, one of the best questions that you can ask them, if you want to start a witness encounter, hey, I've got a, I've got a question for you. Can you tell me the core tenets, the main teaching of the Christian religion? Chances are really good whether they have put together a TED Talk video or not. They are not going to know it, and you can explain it to them. Starting in the Old Testament, using the laws of God to bring about the knowledge of sin, and then preaching about the Savior who died for sinners and rose again, and he has complete forgiveness to those who will come to him in repentance and faith. It's a pretty good opportunity right now to share that. This is Wretched Radio. Permit me to introduce you to Bree and Salvation Dominoes preborn style when one person gets saved they have that burning desire to just make him known the same way that was made known to them and then it's just this domino effect brie currently volunteers at a preborn life center how did she get saved from a friend whose mother got saved at you guessed it a preborn life center why? Because preborn, it is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. And look at the domino effect. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28 for an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, thank you so much for being here at Wretched Radio today. We certainly appreciate each and every one of you who take time to tune in and listen on a daily basis. And we also appreciate each and every one of you who are gospel partners. You can partner with Wretched right now to save the lost. As a matter of fact, the more you give, the more we're always able to give away. Wretched relies on the kindness and generosity of God's people just like you. Remember in good standing of the ECFA. In other words, we can't waste your money even if we wanted to, which we don't and never would. Get all the information right now on becoming a gospel partner at wretched.org slash donate. Your faithful and consistent support will help Wretched reach millions of people all around the world. 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry. You can give either at wretched.org slash donate or you can text the word wretched to 44321. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare? Affordable Biblical Health Sharing has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% 
of the members of MediShare, give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the art and science of interpreting scripture. When reading the Bible, begin with these three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? What difference does it make? Many common mistakes can be avoided with basic hermeneutics. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. All right, fine, I got it already. I have no idea what accent that was. This is Wretched Radio. It is not often, okay, it's never happened, where four people sent me the same sermon and said, you should listen to this. So I did. And you should hear it, too, because the pastor who preached at a Master's University chapel service in Santa Clarita identifies a trend in evangelical Christianity that I do believe we need to get over lickety split. We are pragmatic, all of us. We tend to find trends. We tend to whiff the culture. And even if even if we are not consciously imbibing the world, it gets into us. Pastor David Hegg, who's an adjunct professor at the Master's University, which, by the way, now has a doctoral program in biblical counseling. Not that I'll be achieving that anytime soon. They've also got about 150 programs there. It's an excellent university in Santa Clarita, California, other other than its zip code. (laughs) It's a great school. You know, here's a mystery. Jimmy, I don't know if you have read anything that identifies who's leaving California because the place is just draining. So it's it's like a sieve and people are just pouring out of that place. Yeah. Is it the liberals or the conservatives? I think it's a mixture of both. <sighs> See, that should be there should be a law. And I and I think Gavin Newsom would probably be fine with it and be more than willing to enforce it with a heavy hand. If you're a liberal, you can't leave California because this is your utopia. <laughs> this is everything that you want. Oh, we've got more surprises coming your way, but you're not going to do any better when it comes to being socialistic than you will in the state of California. Liberals can't leave. I, we've, we've gone through a season of people not being able to travel. I don't know why we can't enforce that law. Santa Clarita, it's in northern Los Angeles. It is the location of the Master's University. This pastor was encouraging the, the congregation, which is all university students, to not go to war with the world but to be winsome witnesses. Don't, 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 don't fight the world. Instead, love the world. And I wonder if that isn't a message that we all need to hear these days. Because the world isn't very loving. The world isn't very kind. The world doesn't communicate very godly-like when they talk to each other. But we should. And yet, how much... Do we see on the internet? Let's let this little snippet from Pastor David Hegg perhaps convict us and then help us to repent of it so that we can indeed perform the task that we have been assigned, and that is to speak truth in love. I'm just telling you, we need to be commendable in the way we relate to people. We don't need any more smash mouth Christians. 
okay? We don't need anybody going on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or any of those places and just ranting. <laughs> we don't need that. <laughs> I'll go a step further. We can't have that. We shouldn't have that. Do you know where sometimes it can be the nastiest? And it's not dealing with the pagans. It's with other believers. Oofta. The comments that people will leave that are so scathing. I know that exists in the political realm. If you want to laugh at whatever you're, the, the political figure that you dislike the most, or put it, should I say, you love the least, go at, you'll find all kinds of stuff. And it is sinfully funny, kind of nasty, kind of sharp, unbridled, going after their, their personage, going after their looks, going. Okay, the uh, uh, Peppermint Patty, that's the name that has been given to the press secretary, Jen Psaki, because she kind of has red hair that looks so we take Peppermint Patty, we put her face on it. Ha 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 ha. Okay, that's the world. That shouldn't be Christians. I will see even sometimes at, at just kind of mainstream evangelical sites where they show a clip of somebody and then Christians just rip the guy to shreds. I mean, woo. And the fellow isn't even a heretic. There's just a difference of opinion. But we go after each other with Ginsu knives. David Hegg is saying, um, no, that's a no-go for Christians. Paul said this to Timothy. Timothy was in Ephesus, a huge pagan culture. Uh, in First Timothy, he's right out of seminary. He's ready to go. He's going to appoint elders and deacons. He can hardly wait. By the time we get to Second Timothy, it's five years later, and he's been kicked around. Huh. He's ashamed a little bit. He's afraid to suffer. He's timid. Uh, he's fearful. So Paul has to give him a short course in the gospel in chapter 1 of uh, 2 Timothy. But then he gets to chapter 2 and he says, And Timothy, here's how you should be. He said, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Oh, that ain't happening a lot these days, is it? Because gentleness is equated with weakness. Being meek is weak. Hey, Jimmy, I got I could bust a move with that song. That's tweetable. That was that was some good <laughs> that was some good rapping right there. Sorry, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> just, that's just me. We're supposed to be winsome and gentle when we engage with people. Look, I, I, I'm I'm convicted by this too. Gentleness ain't my strong suit. Being loud and right and aggressive, that's my inclination. David Hegg says Paul is telling Timothy, don't be like that. Don't be quarrelsome, argumentative. Don't feel like you've got to win every single issue. And if I could just add, when you critique somebody on the Internet, just at least, at least do them the courtesy of watching the entire clip. Sometimes I've seen Christians posting, I didn't watch this clip, but what is that? 
it's being quarrelsome. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Paul was being superintended by the Holy Spirit so that what he wrote was a one-for-one one with what God breathed out? I do. So do you. He's saying, Timothy, to be an effective witness, you not only have to be truthful, you have to be gracious. Why? Because he goes on to say, God may perhaps grant them repentance and lead to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been captured by him to do his will. Everybody you and I run across either has Jesus or needs Jesus. And they could receive Jesus when we follow God's prescription for how we're supposed to interact. Doesn't this parallel 1 Peter? Does, doesn't this have the same, the same concept behind it? Didn't Jesus talk about this? That we are supposed to live in such a way, present ourselves in such a fashion, that the world asks about the hope that lies within us. The war that is happening around us, even the terrible theology that is available by the boatload on the Internet, God is doing something. God is doing something. God wants us, us, he's assigned us the job of being his representative here. And yes, I know there are times when Jesus most certainly was aggressive when he was dealing with religious leaders that were making people twice the sons of hell that they were. But otherwise, he exuded gentleness and kindness and warmth. Didn't mean that he was squishy or weak. He was theologically rock solid, needless to say. And he wants us to model that because he's doing stuff in the world. This is, this is so encouraging for us that as we see a bunch of bad stuff going on, it's, it's not even necessarily so much about the stuff, although that is absolutely worthy of our attention and critique, but how we react to it, God is doing something. And he wants to use us to win people when we are winsome. And those who need Jesus have been captured We'll see a little bit more. Their eyes have been blinded. God's going to use us. And he's going to use us if we can respond without being quarrelsome. Maybe just maybe you got tagged in this gem that was sent to me by four different people, which is why if you ever see a good sermon, I want it. I want it. Send it to idea at wretched.org. I don't think that this is going to go away overnight. I, I think that you might lose followers on your social media. Your videos might not be as popular. You might not gain as many friends. But that's not what it's about. Jesus didn't die so that we can have a lot of Facebook followers. Jesus died so that people's sins could be forgiven. And he commands us to go make disciples and don't be crabby while you're doing it. I'm paraphrasing the general idea here. Maybe, just maybe, you and I need to be convicted of this and reconsider how it is that we speak to a lost world. And until tomorrow... Go serve your king. <laughs>